Welcome to the Redeemer Anglican Church of Asheville podcast. I'm your host, Brandon. Today with me, I'm very excited to have with me Kenda Mullert, who is our children's minister, but it's a different, I don't even know how to say, what's the role, what's the title? Kenda? My title is Family and Children's Ministry Director. Oh, that's a that's lot. That's a handful. There's just a lot going on in that right there. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to say you're the person that's in charge of the kids. That'll work. So uh, I want to, as we've done a lot of these podcasts, at Redeemer, during COVID, we've had, we, we've had less contact than we normally would at a church. So I wanted to make sure that we talked about starting off with what is the purpose of our kids program? From your, from your mind, like what is the, when you walk in and you think about what we're doing with our kids, not specifics like we do this program, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but why, what is the overall arcing holistic approach to our kids or what's our purpose? I would say that our purpose... First off, so before... I'm sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted you, but I'm going to do it anyway. How long have you been in the role and and sort of what led you to the role before we get into the purpose? Okay. I have been in this role since September 1st of last year, 2021. And I would have never thought I would be a family and children's ministry director. There's that handful of a title again. That is just a good one. That's a good one. I would have never thought I would be interested in even being in this role until I went through what we went through in 2021 with losing our son, Kent. Mm -hmm. There's something that happened every day in the hospital room watching a physical body and a spiritual soul leave each other. And as I'm sitting in these rooms and talking to the doctors, waiting in the waiting rooms, I start to sense that there is more to a child than being interrupted. And I have had to repent so many times thinking about raising my children and how they just felt like they were in the way. And I wanted to just put them to sleep, you know, at the end of the day so I could be myself. And something transitioned in my heart and my soul, watching Kent pass away, realizing that these souls of these children are here. They are a part of our story. They're a part of our church and they get to participate with us. And watching the church gather around Kent's soul was beautiful. And I wanted to be a part of that beauty. And so something shifted in me. And when they approached me to serve in this capacity, it was such an honor. It was a gift, in my opinion, for me to help nurture souls, help families realize this gift that we have in our children. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. I, I was definitely, we've been at Redeemer for two years, and I was definitely on the periphery. I mean, I don't think anybody that was actively involved in Redeemer wasn't aware of what was going on with you guys and your son, Kent. Um, but, and we've talked a little bit about this, this idea of, Losing a child is obviously, I, there's nothing worse. In the fact, when you were announced as the person who was to take over, I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And a huge blessing to a community that needs that role. So I know many people have probably already thanked you for that. But from my you know, family to you, we thank you for, I, I can see a lot of, my point is I can see a lot of people saying, uh, yeah, she, Kenneth is going to go off and live in the mountains for five years in a teepee because, you know, dealing with that kind of thing. But you kind of just jumped in and said, I'm going to make this. And 
I said this to you, and I this is not an insult of anybody else who ran the kids program, but I feel like there's a much more active presence now with our kids program because of you, the, the emails and the different events that are coming up and the way we as families can engage. So can you talk a little bit? I, I interrupted you, but I'd be I'm curious to know from your perspective, what is the role of children, not not families, but really children in the church and sort of what, how do you see your interaction with them in that program? Right. Well, I when you were talking a little bit about that, and I want to offer one thing that drives me and pushes me. I remember before we transferred to Charlotte, a nurse in the NICU here in Asheville, she told me, she pulled me aside and she said, you have to lean in to the love. You have to press in. Don't pull out. Don't pull away. You need to lean in. And ever since that I have really adapted and and pushed that in in all areas of my life. So I'm leaning in, I'm pushing into these families, I'm pushing into the church. I'm I'm leaning in to how do we incorporate children into our church and how do we see them not as the noisy things in our congregation that drop clipboards all the time and are screaming and not quiet at all. How do we see them as participation? How do we see them as a member of our church because they're souls? These children have a soul in their body, in their heart, in their mind, and to offer and to teach us things about who Jesus is. But how do we shift that as parents? And that's our work as parents. So when you say that about, well, yeah, I think about as a a guy with ADD, um, you know, kids sometimes at points can drive you crazy, but I also believe strongly that they should be there. So um, when you say that, you know, when we talk about the the overall program, what does that look like? And let's start with like let's let's talk about the the littles first, um, because I I have a lot of questions about sort of the catechism and the catechesis and the older kids. But with the littles, and I mean two, three, four, five in that age when we godly play, let's talk about a little bit about godly play. What that looks like. Of, d- just imagine the new families listening to this, and they're like, oh, I don't even know what that is. What is it, and why do we do it? Okay. I'm going to start even before Godly oh, Play. Oh, good. I'm going to gonna go baby babies. So we just opened our infant nursery, and we have an infant nursery for babies who are not walking. So mm. this is zero to roughly 12 months. You know, every baby develops on their own. So those babies get to be held and nurtured and just loved on. And that is as much as we want to do. We have music, we have pictures, we have um, things in there for the nursery workers. And then after that, they will go to toddlers. And even at this age, we want the toddlers to be learning parts of the liturgy. We want them to be feeling like they are a part of the church. And so one way we do that is we teach them the doxology, even as a one-year-old, we're starting to sing the doxology, and that is important for us because after the parent comes up and gets the child from during the passing of the peace and they bring them back down, the child will then hear the doxology again at the end of the service. And so that repetition will soon transfer in their mind, oh, I'm hearing this. What is this? And they start remembering and they start meditating on it even when they don't know what they're really doing. So that's the toddler area. And then we go up to preschool age, and that's three to five, and that's our godly play. Mm-hmm. And I love godly play because it's so, if if there's a way I can describe it, it's very sacramental in the perspective of it's something physical. It's tangible pieces, very Montessori style, 
but what you got to t- we get to talk about who God is and the character of who God is, and that is worship. And then in the middle of that godly play lesson, after that, it's we have a time of responsive. So it's another form of worship. So we worship through learning um, or through art. So we always have an art craft time after the lesson in godly play, and that's a form of worship. And so we teach that, and then they come back to the circle, and then we sing the Sanctus, which is a song that we sing in the service. And so again, it's not just the doxology for toddlers. It's in the, they sing the Sanctus um, together in godly play. So they will hear it again when they go back down with their parents. And so it's teaching them independent or away from their parents, away in a, in a group of their own age children. And then they come back down and they feel like they can be a part of something because they can sing. They're like, Oh, we sing the, we, I know this song, holy, holy, holy. And then the Lord's Prayer. So I'm like, oh, I can say that. And so these kids are starting from a young age, getting to feel like they're a part of something, which is the whole mission of Redeemer is for the children to feel like they are a part of something. And they're not just the kids in the corner being watched by a babysitter. You don't expect them to to walk out and on day one, know the rituals and, and all the thing, but, but you... As somebody who was raised in that, you you wake up one day and you realize, oh, I know all this stuff. And like, we sing the doxology a lot of times for prayer at dinner because it's for the same reason, right? So the idea is to scaffold, to teach them so that they're not, you're not saying, and now listen, this is God. Right. You need to understand, but more of it in an age appropriate level of this is what we're doing. And I've taught godly play and been involved in it. So I love it. I think it's a wonderful program, but when you can you just really briefly for someone that's brand new hasn't seen it what oh, does that it like because i i could explain it but i'd rather you explain it w- one of the things i really love is the sort of the story yes and the act it out yes. so can you explain a little bit of that right godly play is a curriculum that was developed over time it's actually a relatively newer curriculum style but the best way for me to describe it is maybe thinking about our stories of the Bible in the Old Testament. So when I was in Sunday school, it was very much like felt bored and this is what you should do. You should felt do this. Felt Jesus, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it was very much like, it almost felt like this sense of like, this is the st- this is what it means to be godly and everything short of that is not okay. So godly play really allows us to have the words and the phrases to use to help inspire and create imagination in kids. So for example, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, in godly play, we have a desert box that's full of sand and we have little figurines and we walk the little figurines across the desert slowly. And we say, I wonder what it felt like to be in the desert for 40 years. I wonder how tired if they ever got sand in their pants and the kids love it. They think it's the funniest thing, but it allows the stories to come into a perspective of not just thou shalt not covet thou you know it's it allows us to create this style of owning a story and how does that it puts them inside the story if that makes sense and so it's a lot of i wonders i wonder how that felt i wonder what she meant by that i wonder how god felt i wonder if you could leave anything out of this story and it would still be okay so it allows the kids to really just process it and not be told how to define what the outcome should be if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I was thinking about like, I, Laura Negus, I was with Laura and she taught it and it's the same. I love that. The asking of questions and the, well, how do you think God felt about this? Or how do you think Mary felt? Or because little kids 
part of te- part of teaching them is also teaching them empathy. Right. So that that is a um, that's a yeah that's what one well, of the reasons why I love. I it. think what's cool is that we have a language as adults and children have a language and we really don't know how to the same words like. But for feelings, we do. I know what it feels like to be sad. And my son knows what it feels like to be sad. So we can talk about how does that, do you think God felt sad? Like he can, it clicks. He knows what that means, but not, I didn't have to go through 10 million and, you know, bullet bullet points about what sad is and why God was sad. We can just leave it simple. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Well put. Yeah, that's uh, hopefully anybody that's not seeing godly play will get a sense of it from that. Okay, so after godly play, we get to where my daughter is. So you know the the first kindergarten, first whatever. Uh, and and to be clear, and I've talked to you about this, so I'm, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of up to the parents to a degree to decide what's appropriate for. Like for Maple, godly play was great for last year, but this year she needs more. Right. So she's even though she's in kindergarten, technically she shouldn't be until. Uh, Anyway, so it, we allow the parent to really decide on even in the toddler to go to godly play. We can really run young threes. I, ideally, godly play is three to five. Now, because of COVID or because of learning styles or because of home life, I mean, there's a million layers of why the child might need to go to godly play from the toddlers early or late. And on the other end, if we have an older kindergarten, maybe somebody decided to stay home for another year or their birthday fell, mm-hmm. you know. So Maple is a great example. It's, you know, she is um, a fantastic learner and she's hungry to be a part of something more. And I find that the first graders, that the older kindergartens and the first graders, they know they don't want, it feels too young. It feels too childish to be in godly play or they have been in it for two or three years mm-hmm. and they are like, I've, I've done all the stories. Yeah. I'm ready for more. But they're also ready to participate more fully. And so the worship, the Children's Chapel was designed by Laura Negus, and we use it to really mirror what's happening downstairs in the in the large chapel or the large congregation for church. It is the same style. It's the same format. But the kids upstairs, the first, second graders, they get to be the ones that read the scripture passages. They get to be the ones that lead the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that get to... Um, lead the prayers of the people. And so they're not, they feel like they're a part of something more important because it's their age children and it doesn't feel so boring because it's surrounded by adults. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think about like, they're very, there's a, and we, I think there's many people, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, but there are, there are people in this community that are from all sorts of different faith expressions. That's right. So um, everything from being raised uh, Roman Catholic, I mean, we would always have, youth group was a big, big deal in my church growing up. And you would go before church for an hour, and then you would go to mass. And so the before church was Sunday school. And a lot of churches do that where they'll do an hour. Now, obviously during COVID and everything, and I don't know where we're going to be five years from now, but we don't have an hour before. Right. So once we get to second after second grade, what are we doing with our kids after that? Right. Well, Sundays have always been designed to be our worship. So if you remember, even in the doxology for the toddlers and the godly play, the wonder and the responsive art, we never really have time or want Sundays to be about teaching 
teaching the spiritual formation. We have to save that because it's kind of like Sunday school. If you remember, traditionally, when I grew up, we had Sunday school and then we had church, just like you guys, where you just commented. We don't have that right now, and, and maybe that will change in the future, but because we have a nighttime service, it just throws, there's there's a lot of layers there. So we have our spiritual formation on Thursday nights. And so, um, so that's when the children of all age, even toddler back, if you go back down to toddler all the way up to fifth grade, do we do spiritual formation for our children? And then we offer a youth group. Now youth group meets for St. Aidan's and then they do on their own Sundays after church. So we do offer that, but the teaching is more the Sunday school. What we used to what we used to have Sunday school is on sun on Thursday nights for St. Aidan's. Yeah, and so St. Aidan's is one of those things. Uh, having worked with those St. Aidan's groups and everything, uh, this is a shameless plug for people to volunteer. So I'm going to put this out there. There are lots of wonderful people in our community, but there's never enough hands when, especially when it comes to our kids. So like it would be great. I remember it was it was I think kindergarten up through fifth grade. And pedagogically speaking, that's a huge variation age. We've got kids, fifth graders who are about ready to go to middle school. And then you've got kids who are just entering into kindergarten. So what do we do with that group? And and how do we answer that question or that problem's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, like how do we separate them out? Is it offering more classes? Is it, what do we, what are your thoughts about that moving forward? Well, it's really a challenge because we certainly don't want to over-program our church. We value simplicity as much as possible, but we don't want to compromise the needs of our children. Mm-hmm. And so right now we have the Sunday going and that we have great participation. Thursdays for St. Aidan, it is a challenge for parents. I'm not going to lie. It's really hard to get there. However, when you realize the difference between Sundays and Thursdays, I think the parents are always surprised when they come. So for example, on Thursday, we have our children split up. We have toddler care, and then we have preschool age. And we're careful not to use the same language as godly play because we don't always do a godly play story during that time for St. Aidan's because we want to be a more spiritual formation. So, um, and then I'll backtrack, but, and then we have uh, the upper ages. So this last Thursday for teaching spiritual formation for our preschool, we talked a lot about uh, God, how God rescues us and how we need a soft heart versus a hard heart. And so we went through a lot of examples in the Bible with Pharaoh. And then we had uh, this art craft and we had this demonstration with hard heart um, and a soft heart. And it was a beautiful way for us to teach how God needs us to have a soft heart so that he can, so we can receive his love more. These are things that we can't do during worship on Sunday because that's not where we do it. And on Thursdays for the older children, I taught um, ages first to fifth grade, personally with my friend Coley, and normally we have them split up from first and second grade, and then third to fifth grade, but we are short on teachers, and so we worked together to find a lesson, and it was fantastic. We had so much fun. We taught about the Ten Commandments, because that's in our plan for the catechesis. We have a very robust, specific plan about what we teach, when we teach it. And so there's a three-year plan for these kids to go through the whole catechism questions. And so on this last Thursday, we taught the overview of uh, the Old Testament. We talked about weird laws and the kids ate it up. We talked about how it's illegal to rob a bank in Louisiana with a water gun. I mean, they just thought it was the funniest thing, but we talked about why do rules exist? Why is there? Mm -hmm. And so we were able to process all that so that we can introduce 
this Thursday, we're going to be talking about the first two commandments. And so these are things that we don't get to teach like at Children's Chapel or three through fifth on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get to get the heart of our spiritual formation. That's awesome. I mean, that's, yeah. And hopefully as we, again, I I couch everything with the idea that COVID has, has made things that are already challenging, even more challenging. Yes. So, you know, as we move forward, um, and I'm I'm one of those people that believes it. It's an endemic now. So, hopefully, within we're all the next, waiting for that term. Yes, we are all <laughs> waiting. Please I'm, I'm, just let me I'm hear claiming, it today. I'm claiming that term right now. <laughs> um, but as we move, it will at some point we will it's move soon. into some normal state. So we will, you know, we we've got to keep our eyes moving forward. But so now we get to the group of kids that we called it catechism class back in the day, but. We get to basically six, seven, up six up through high school. Sure. Um, and we, I think our group was like, I think when, we, when you received your 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 confirmation was usually around thirteen. But what in in this at Redeemer, when do kids typically get confirmed? Let's let's back that up. So six through twelve, what do they do as a youth group? What does that look like? And what is the catechism for them? And when do they get confirmed? I know okay. that's three questions, but. Well, we start the catechism back at three years old, so we don't wait until they get to the youth group. I mean, when I said that we had a three-year cycle of going through all the questions, we do have a three-year cycle. And so the three-year-olds will go through the whole book in a year, and then they'll or the, a third of the book. And so every three years, they go through the entire catechism questions, and then we'll repeat it. And mm-hmm. so it builds on it. So by the time they get to youth group, ideally, if a, son, if a child comes in at three, and they go all the way up, they're going to have gone through the whole catechism questions a couple of times. Now, obviously, as you learn and develop, you soak up and you have different perspectives and your learning changes and how you're able to perceive and absorb all these questions and all these facts. And then you're able to apply it to your real life as you get older. Usually confirmation happens around 12 to 14. I mean, but we don't want to say, oh, it's 12, you're 12, mm-hmm. it's time. It's really... We, again, we're all about providing families the resources. So it really is because the family is the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And if we're not going to pursue the child, we really want to pursue the family to say, hey, how can we help you nurture your child? And so we'll approach the family, say, hey, is your son, do you think, or daughter, do you think they are ready to start having these questions about their faith? And if they, the parents know them best. If they say yes, great, well, we'll continue that conversation, what it could look like. And if they say no, like, okay, is there anything as a parent that you need? How can we help you nurture your child's faith? <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking to myself, so many times parents think their kids are actually further ahead than they are. As a, as a classroom teacher for a long time, you know, <laughs> I would always be like, well, maybe they're not quite ready yet. But anyway, that's a, <laughs> that's a challenge. So a um, couple last questions here. When we talk about, you know, when when I was a kid, in first grade, was your, you made your first Holy Communion. Yeah. That was a big, big deal. Big deal. And it's not so much, and I, I actually personally like that it's a little bit less of a big, it's not that it's not a big deal, but it's, there's a lot less pomp and circumstances. We, we say that um, once a kid has been baptized, that they can receive communion. communion. But is there any, is it part of the catechesis that you, how, how do we address things like communion or the sacraments, right. you know, what, what do we say about holy unction or whatever to the kids in a way that they can understand? Well, even as early as godly play, the three-year-olds, there's a lesson on baptism and it's really built on the church calendar. So the baptism of Jesus that brings up the question about baptism, what is baptism? And especially this last baptism of Jesus, we had a baptism of a child right around the same time. So we got to have those conversations. This is what it means. 
My son, my youngest son is baptized, but he does not receive communion because I want to have that conversation that this is the bread of Christ. And, but that's my own personal family value. Whereas we know there's so many families in our church who, if they can walk, they're getting the communion. Mm-hmm. You know, they get to, they get to dip the communion. So it, that's a really personal family value. And we want to honor that, whatever that is. Yeah. Gary's, I, if, if people haven't listened to Gary's, podcast on baptism um, and also communion, he does a really great, it was actually really helpful for me to hear it around the idea that, and I like what you said about like, it's up to parents to decide, but because I was always one of those people who was, I was, you know, I was baptized as a baby and and then I was, then I was like, no, I want Maple to be baptized. As a, I want her to make the decision herself. Um, it probably in a reaction to my own upbringing, but <laughs> Gary was helpful for me to understand, to, to think about it differently in a sense that baptism is a way for the, it's not just about the person. It's also about the community. Right. And it's I never so really important. turned that around, but our, our kid, this, the kids program, I say that because the kids program is not just about indoctrinating our kids because like I said, people come from all sorts of different experience. You did, you, yeah. you were raised in a different, you know, tradition, than I was, and yet here we are all at Redeemer kind of, you know, it, it. that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important to have this collective liturgy and practice of catechism. But this idea that, that the children's program is not just about our kids, it's also about our community loving our kids, but also our kids being allowed to be part of the greater community. Right. I think it's, I love how we as a church celebrate baptisms with not before we celebrate, we participate in a liturgy. We participate in a commitment to raise these children as a as a church. Mm-hmm. And then we celebrate. I think what an incredible opportunity for us to see that we are raising each other's children's children. And then we get to enjoy it. We get to celebrate and recognize it's a feast. It's a feast. You yeah. know, we, get to, we get to celebrate it. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, as we close, is there anything that you want I would say parents, but I, I'm of the mind that all of us are parents of these kids, regardless if they're our own biological children or not. We're all part and parcel to this and responsible for the 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 raising and the cultivating and the loving. Um, you know, uh, we just had some friends' kids over so they could have a night and and just I, I think that happens a lot holistically at our church. But um, wh- what do you what do you see moving forward? Say in the next year to next five years, how do you see our children's program? Wh- what's going to happen in our children's program right. if there is a way to put that? Oh man, the sky's the limit. I don't. You know, when I told Gary when he asked me to do this position, I said I I do not know how to lead from the front in this in this role. Every other role I've ever had in my life, I would have been chosen because I would have had experience. So I would have had knowledge and training. So I felt like I could say, here I am, come follow me. But this position in this time of my life, in the season of learning how to grieve and live at the same time, I'm learning in the midst of everybody, our community. So I'm almost saying, Hey, what can we do next as a community? What do we want? You know, and as we kind of fumble through the church calendar, and I think that's one of the best resources that I need as a parent to recognize that there are times that I can build in spiritual formation so easily when we talk about Lent. Why do we fast? You know, and then we talk about Easter and why do we celebrate? So the church calendar is a huge thing for us and finding out how do we as a community move forward 
and keep using these ancient traditions of the church calendar or the BCP, but still at the same time, build a community that's hungry for something more and deeper, not just more and frivolous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we battle, battle's not the right word, but we work hard as a family to not create a consumer. Um, and I really believe that consumerism is the great evil of our generation and our time. And what I mean by that is like, oh, we just show up in, in what I mean by that is churches, you know, we just show up and I sit in the pew and I just, what are you bringing me? And, and I tithe. So therefore I should be getting something. And I'm like, right. no, no, that's not how it works. How do we be active participants? Yes. Not just passive recep- recipients of church. And how do we, as a mom and as a dad, how do we teach that to our children? And I think the easiest way is to look to the church calendar, look to our tradition of Anglicanism to guide us, because I can't come up with the latest and greatest thing that's going to keep somebody, because there's always going to be another latest and greatest. Yeah. I think it's really important for me to note, at the end, you said mom and dad, and I completely agree with you. I also think there are, un, there are, there are people out there in the community that, that do not, not have children, that that's are not right. parents either yet or by choice, or for whatever reason aren't parents, or maybe they're grandparents, or maybe whatever, that, that they... we. We all have an obligation to we our children. Them. Yeah. And it and it's and it's an obligation not just from them to families, but from families to them. That's right. So I mean, I think that if you if there are people in our community that you know that I don't know, maybe they're single and they don't have kids, you know, invite them into your life to be part of that because I find that for me, and I'm I, I can't speak to every parent, but I don't know very many parents that don't feel this way. When Mabel has a connection with another adult that's not her parents, it's very powerful and, and important. I will say that there's research that says that kids need a hello or a high five or a pat on the back from five different adults for them to stay with their faith. And we're not talking about, you know, staying necessarily in the church until after they graduate in college, but just staying believing and then still considering to go back to the church. They need those people. I can... The best part is I'm thinking right now of our children's ministry team, which is an incredible team. We have people who are of all ages. We have single women and single men. We have grandmas. We have grandpas. We have serving. We have all kinds of people serving, not just moms and dads. And I think the children learn best from all types of adults. Absolutely. Great way to uh, finish that. Great word. Kenneth, thank you so much for being here on this this heavily listened podcast, the most heavily listened podcast I'm going in to say the yes. ACNA world. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you so much. I am Brandon. This was Kenda Mullert uh, with Redeemer Anglican Church. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>